politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew the issues that matter in the way they matter at the time they matter here at CR Podcast. Your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here for Tuesday, January 9th. And folks, the issues that matter and the way they matter is everything. This is not a drill. This is real. We never could have thought that. I never thought that growing up. That we'd live through a time where our government and the power structure, they really do hate us. And they really are trying to destroy us. This is not metaphorical. This is not hyperbole. It's real. This is why I've harped on, and I was probably one of the first to coin this term, anarcho-tyranny. The mixture between anarchy and tyranny. And, and the reason why I focus on that is because what we need to understand here is this is not just about, oh, therefore multiculturalism, therefore PC, therefore labor unions, therefore racial hustlers, therefore the homosexual agenda, therefore weak on crime. They're not for any of those things in a vacuum. They are for the acquisition of power and the destruction of our civilization, and our people, quite literally, America the way it was constituted, and their rules of engagement, their principles revolve around outcomes. The exact opposite of the conservative movement, by the way. So when they need to turn on and off a certain modality of activity, they'll do that. So in general, liberals are weak on crime, right? But if they need to be really tough on something like persecuting political crimes, they'll do that at ease. They never make a mistake. They they make it that we never benefit at the ancillary level from one of their modalities of action, right? You might think, okay, man, they're just like out of control. I mean, the border's open. Hamas bros are... Uh, blocking tunnels and bridges everywhere. I mean, it's anarchy. You got, you know, every, ever since Floyd, you know, they'll be at least, you know, if we kind of push the envelope protesting against government, we'll be free to do what we want. Oh, no, 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 no. Suddenly, Afghanistan will turn into North Korea. So I want to start off giving a couple of examples on that. And then later we're going to bring on Thomas Massey to kind of see where he's at. Uh, he's been on the campaign trail with Ron DeSantis and maybe some other congressional news if we get uh, if we have time for it. First, our sponsor today, we're proud to uh, cement another year of a partnership with our friends at Patriot Mobile. Um, they've been with us for 10 years, 10 years, America's only Christian conservative wireless provider. Make this your New Year's resolution, at least when you have an option to stop funding those that are patronizing those who hate us. Patriot Mobile offers dependable nationwide coverage, giving you really the exact same access to the networks of the three major Chinese uh, tied government spying agencies, uh, AT&T, T-Mobile, and Verizon. When you switch, you're sending the message that you stand for free speech, you stand for religious freedom, you stand for sanctity of life, Second Amendment, uh, our military veterans and first responders. Uh, you go to patreonmobile.com slash CR to make the change today and get free activation when you use offer code 
CR. You could also call their 100% US-based customer service team, English-speaking, every one of them, 972-PATRIOT. Again, make the switch today at patriotmobile.com slash CR or call 972-PATRIOT, activation code CR. Folks, as we're speaking right now, Ray Epps, the famous Ray Epps, is getting sentenced in the D.C. court. Now, I don't know what will happen. By the time you listen to this, you will have heard the the outcome. So I'm not sure exactly what it is, but I have to assume he's going to get nothing. Absolutely nothing. Now, if there was ever a um, ever any doubt that Ray Epps was a federal agent or not a federal agent, this sentencing memorandum should put that to rest. So the sentencing memorandum is what the Department of Justice sends to the judge what the prosecutors think the person should get. And and this is where they get very, um, they move away from the technicalities of law. I mean, we've moved away from that anyway, but, you know, typically when you, uh, determine whether to convict someone, it's based on the letter of the law. And then when you get to the sentencing, it's like, well, you know, he's kind of a nice guy, or conversely, he's a habitual criminal, and, and really we need to come down hard on him. Okay. Now, you read every other um, sentencing memorandum, and the guy could have done barely anything, anything, no violence. Um, he could have multiple cases. They were openly yelling at people for committing violence. Some of these defendants themselves were trying to break up fights and even protect officers. Some of them had, you know, a lot of them had military history, no criminal history. And they were, and and especially they were punished so much. They showed remorse. Their lives were destroyed. They were financially ruined. This is true of almost everyone of the people. But instead, the sentencing memorandum is like, they're Nazis, they're horrible. And then perfectly, so so right, I mean, this is jarring. Every every prosecutorial sentencing memorandum in J6 shows no, no human side towards the defendant. I mean, it's as vicious as it comes. I'm reading um, a friend of mine who's a, one, of, one of the attorneys for a bunch of J6 clients sent this to me. So they announced last night that they're allowing Ray Epps to do it by phone. I think he's in Utah, which is unprecedented, and the public's not going to have access. So you're going to have to rely on them releasing a transcript. So that in itself is a huge red flag. Um from what I've heard of people, the D.C. Circuit has already ruled that you have a First Amendment right to actually make that public. And he plans on filing some sort of uh, writ in this case because of that. But anyway, let me read to you the opening lines. It's a 21-page document. Ray Epps understands the serious mistake he made when he joined others to attend the Stop the Steal rally on January 6th and to encourage others to walk to the U.S. Capitol to protest. Notice that first sentence. 
<laughs> you, you think they'd start off, you know, he really was aggressive. He was out there yelling. He was out there telling people to charge, you know, the famous video of him the night before. And they say, nonetheless, maybe he deserves a little leniency. No, they start off right away. He understands the mistake he made. And notice they call it rally protest. See how how quickly when it suits their needs, because he's a federal agent and they have to get him off. When it suits their needs, how quickly they change gears. At all times, Mr. Epps' intent was that the protest be peaceful and would be done peacefully. Those were his words on January 5th. And that was his intent on January 6th. I'm telling you, folks, this is unbelievable. I mean, I marvel at the government and the left how they're so... how how. Easily, they could change gears to suit their outcome. Mr. Epps became part of a group that crossed from the from wishful First Amendment protest protected peaceful demonstration to a disaffected crowd that crossed barriers, yada yada. And for that, this 62-year-old man, you know, they 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 they, they uh, appeal to his you know somewhat elderly age when a lot of these guys this applies to them has displayed remorse, accepted responsibility, and taken on the brand of a convicted criminal that shames and embarrasses him and his family and will stain him for the rest of his life. And then they go on to say how he told people to relax. He walked between officers and protesters. He encouraged the protesters to calm down. He helped police officers. He gave medical aid. (laughs) He didn't brag about what he did. Two days later, when Mr. Epps learned that the FBI had posted photographs of a person of interest, he promptly self-surrendered. By the way, that applied to Richard Barnett. He surrendered the next day, and they never wrote that in the sentencing memorandum. He agreed to testify. From the onset, he's been remorseful and cooperative. For his actions, one would think he would have been lauded. It's unbelievable. Instead, he has been attacked, defamed, and vilified. For their own reasons, men like Donald Trump, Tucker Carlson, and others have falsely called out Mr. Reps as an FBI plant. They have publicly blamed Mr. Epps for what happened that day. Their lies have led to a real threats against Mr. Epps, his wife, and his family. Social media has vilified them. Right-wing conspiracy theorists came by their home and their events. And they talk about it. They go on to talk about how he served in the Marines. By the way, and this is, I mean, there's no shame. This is true of like 80% of the people that they called Nazis. And they talk about his financial ruin. Folks, I mean, this is unbelievable. This is, I'm going to try to post it on Twitter today. I'm going to try to see if I could post uh, the document for those who don't have access to Pacer and can't get a hold of it. I don't want to spend the whole show on this. But folks, (laughs) you get the idea. I mean, these guys are, I, I, I just admire their temerity. They will look you in the eye with a straight face and like, yeah, you know, Ray Epps was awesome. And when everything they say applies to people like, like um, Ryan Samsel, these other guys, even some of the Oath Keepers that on video were caught, uh, Vicky White, Vicky White. Was, was crushed and destroyed as a human being. She threw herself on someone to stop them from using a bait. She's this little woman, tiny woman, threw herself on this massive guy who was 
taking a bat to uh, bash in a window. And, and she was destroyed and humiliated, ultimately got 10 days in prison, but, but her, the ordeal was two years long. None of that was ever mentioned. So folks, if you ever had any doubt that Ray Epps is a plant, he's a plant. Now anyway, speaking of plants, we have the fake private sector, big tech working with government. And it's not just that they spy on you to sell their information. Verizon says, Verizon always says it's better to understand your interests by tracking your online activity. But in fact, what they're doing is allowing the government to build a dossier on you. Don't empower the forces of anarcho tyranny, which is why I use ExpressVPN. Friends don't let friends drive drunk. Friends don't let friends use the internet without a VPN. Why ExpressVPN? It is so easy to use with a touch of a button. Even someone like me who's technologically illiterate uh, could easily make it work. Um, The best part is you get five devices. Usually you have phones, a laptop, a desktop, five devices with one family subscription. And... You know, it, it not only shields your web browsing, but ExpressVPN protects all of your network data. So you could stay private even when using your, your favorite apps. When your phone carrier tracks you, that's a gross invasion of your privacy. It's also anarcho-tyranny. They're working with government. You could either let them cash in on it or visit expressvpn.com slash conservative to get the same VPN I use. Take back your online privacy today and use my link to get three extra months free. So it's, again, it's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash conservative expressvpn dot com slash conservative. So folks, this is how they're so easily able to turn on and off, on and off. And it's all to achieve an outcome. Remember, this is taking place at a time where Almost nobody got punished for BLM. We have yesterday Hamas dudes shut down the Brooklyn Bridge, Manhattan Bridge, and the Holland Tunnel. They're doing this everywhere. They tried to break into the Dallas, I, I believe it's DFW Airport. I think it's that one, you know, because there's two of them there. Uh, when Biden touched down there, none of them are being held pre-trial. They're all being released, and you know, none of them will serve time. I am pretty sure this is true. Some got suspended sentences or time served or home detention. I don't think a single human being, because I verified this with a J6 lawyer as well that used this in a case, a single person went to trial, well, few even went to trial, but nobody got any prison time for the courthouse attack. This was the federal courthouse. And unlike January 6th, which was a few hours, Uh, The Portland Federal Courthouse attack in May, June, it went on for six weeks. Notice how here they were able, I mean, they had a military junta going on there at the Capitol. Remember that, the National Guard? Here it was allowed to go on. Wait, suddenly you're incompetent? There were 340 officers and federal agents injured, including DHS agents who were blinded by lasers. Not a single one served prison time. I want you to remember that. 
the same government that has the ability, you know, Matthew Graves, the U.S. attorney, he said they're going to track down every person who was outside the Capitol, gave a press conference on, on Saturday, Saturday, the anniversary of January 6th. And by the way, this is something, the governors, the attorneys general of red states, they need to lay down a marker and say, you will not do it. At a, at a minimum, they need to file a preemptive injunction with the court against Graves' plan, which you can do, and they do it when they want. But how easily they could be tough on crime, so-called crime, weak on crime, incompetent in getting a riot under control, very competent in getting it under control, have a border in. See, this is why the border is not that, oh, they're shirking their federal responsibilities to secure the border. No, no, no. It is orchestrated. It's on purpose. That is what we're living through. You know, when you watch Ray Epps versus someone like a Richard Barnett, you, you find this throughout the justice system. This, this is from a Daily Caller. I'm sure a lot of you have seen this. Kudos to the Daily Caller for breaking this story. Jose Menjavar is an illegal alien with four deportations and three DUI convictions. He had three DUI convictions. Last month, he was released by a judge in Colorado after his third DUI incident on probation, and he violated it. He was let out four days later. Melissa Powell, an American mother, 46, and her son, they were killed when he crashed into them in another DUI incident in Broomfield, Colorado. And, and by the way, I mean, we've talked about this over the years. I've done reports on this. The illegal alien drunk driving epidemic is off the charts. And if you, you know, DUI is, is like, I mean, it's, it's one of the most devastating things around. We, we all talk about terrorism, this and that, but it has the same devastation as terrorism. People cut down in the prime of their life with no warning. A good, good percentage of them are illegal aliens because it's part of that machismo culture. I've said this before, the Department of Transportation years ago used to put out reports on this, and they actually cited that machismo uh, culture. So this is what we have, a mixture of open borders and jailbreak, 100% prevented deaths. The very things that government both is responsible to protect us from and very able to do because, again, an illegal alien, see, yeah, I mean, there's a limit to how much we're going to punish someone for a drunk driving. I think we need to get stronger. But, you know, you're not going to lock up someone for one DUI for 20 years, so they'll be out, and it's a habitual crime. But these guys, if we only cut off the magnets and stopped inviting illegals, they wouldn't come. See, even even after he's deported, he comes back because he knows he can get a job, and, you know, we don't enforce the law. Again, while we are being hunted down, Matthew Graves said anyone who is outside the Capitol, we know who you are and we're coming after you. At the same time, we have the border invasion. We have the cartels, the drug runners, the gangbangers. This guy, um, this Jose Menjavari, has tattoos all over his face. We have the Hamas dudes shutting down airports. By the way, it's very well organized. And they're ops testing it. And, and, and this is going to increase more and more as the year goes on, as I warned last year. And nothing. They know how to turn on and off, on and off the spigot as necessary. You see what I'm saying? It's not like, 
oh my gosh, they're really tyrannical. Or, oh my gosh, they're really like weak on crime and competent. The FBI, they, they, FBI, they don't know what to do. Oh no, 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 no. They know exactly what to do when they want to. Okay? This is a perfect system. And, and, and again, we've, we've talked a lot about the lack of drive for outcomes and results on the right. I want you to juxtapose that to the left on how perfectly, immaculately they achieve outcomes. They ne- you might think they have this you know, muscle memory principles, a modality of operation that they're kind of like weak in crime, bleeding heart for a defendant. Right? A cr- no, 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 no. <laughs> they'll, they'll eat you alive. But then Ray Epps' sentencing comes like, this guy's a military veteran, and he tried to stop it, and he's remorseful. And not only that, he should be lauded for his actions on that day. And instead, I mean, it, it is un- that, that is a huge story, by the way. I don't know if anyone else has talked about that, but um, bookmark that. Anyway, um, speaking of the FBI, so again, turning on and off that spigot. Notice it used to be, especially when you had school shootings of young children, you know, that was a story for seven days straight. And they would milk it to death because they wanted to push gun gun control, right? But now there's a trend that nobody wants to talk about of tranny violence, right? You pump up people on hormones. Well, what happens? And it's more than you think. There's a lot of these cases that likely are being committed by tranny violence now. We saw that, obviously, with the Covenant Christian School in Nashville. And then we had this horrible story budding in Perry, Iowa. Now, you know, it's the site of the caucus, a week away from the caucuses, and you have this horrible school shooting, one killed, I think five injured, and they started to cover it. What what was it, on on Sunday? Or or no, on, 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 was it Monday? Or was it Friday? I'm, I'm like losing my mind. No, it was Friday. And then suddenly they dropped it. It just dropped before it ever became a big story. Well, the reason they dropped it is because the shooter was a tranny. Libs of TikTok is all over this story and dug up that the FBI was actually warned about this individual. He was posting a bunch of things on a social media app called Discord. It was reported to the FBI and the FBI never responded. Already two years ago, he was posting alarming messages about being a school shooter. Again, it's not incompetence. It's not by accident. You, you know, Remember we talked about a lot last decade when we had a lot of these Islamic attacks that weren't called Islamic attacks, but they were, and we still have them. Everyone, it was the FBI missed it. It, sl- it slipped through. Lone wolf, a lone wolf. And we used to call it a known wolf because they were known to the FBI. It wasn't incompetence. It's by design. The same way everyone understands they maximize the pain on you with the tyranny by coming after our people, by letting trannies and terrorists and Hamas people and BLM you know, and illegal aliens and, and just domestic gangbangers and thugs out of prison, by letting them roam, it maximizes the pain on us. And, and that leads me to the final story. Oh, well, you know, two, two more things. First of all, um, the trial of George Kelly, the Arizona rancher, we covered him last year when he was arrested, charged for murder 
for defending himself against cartels coming on his yard. And the local prosecutor is now joining with the cartels to use them as witnesses to hit up this 76-year-old elderly guy isolated on a ranch. His wife is sick. Disgusting. Disgusting what is going on there. Again, on and off the spigot of how much to be tough on crime, how much to be weak. They never make a mistake. And then the final story, because I, I do want to get to Thomas Massey, is um, the Houthis. So the Houthis and the shipping lanes. So basically, they're shutting down the shipping lanes now. We have a trillion dollar military per year, and we have a bunch of cholera-ridden, goat-screwing primitives from the Stone Ages. I mean, you the, you can't get worse than these Yemeni Houthis. And they are shutting down shipping in the Red Sea because in order to get out to the Indian Ocean, the Gulf of Aden, the Indian Ocean, you have to go through that strait that cuts through the Horn of Africa and Yemen, the Bab al-Mandib, the Bab al-Mandib Strait. Shipping is now down basically 50%. Companies are now being told to go all over, all the way around the western side of Africa, the south, you know, the, the Horn of Africa, um, Cape Hope, adds an extra 22 days for gas tankers, you know, 10 to 14 for other ships. Roughly 30% of all global, global containing, containers carrying over a billion tons of goods worth a trillion dollars per year sail through the Suez Canal. And they're just letting it go on. They're letting it go on. And in fact, a Singapore-flagged vessel just came through this morning through the Straits, and they sent out a transmission. Where is the quote? I'm just trying to find this. They sent out a transmission that we have no ties to Israel. So basically, the Biden administration is enforcing the Iran's embargo against Israel. Now, again, it's part of their outcomes-based thing. You're like, man, th- th- these guys can't deal with Houthis. Of course they can. Now, you might think, well, that's because the Biden administration hates Israel. That is true, and that's part of it. By by enforcing the Houthis embargo on Israel, that you know, because they're really screwed. If you block off the Red Sea, then, you know, because a bunch of uh, companies, the biggest uh, container companies said that they're not shipping to Israel. So it maximizes the pressure on Israel to give up their Gaza stuff. And by the way, Israel is getting attacked from the north, left and right. And the Biden administration is hamstringing them. That's certainly a big part of it. There's no question that's a part of it. But this is not just about Israel. Because remember, that the whole world's shipping is interconnected, right? If you if you block off one area, you you make shipping even if it's not directly coming from you know the Middle East to North America to America, it's going from Asia to Europe. Let's say that will always have a trickle down effect, making things more expensive. IKEA already announced that the blockade will lead to delays and limit the availability of some products. 
This is designed, it's not just a foreign policy appeasement of Iran and hatred of Israel. That's true. But this is also designed domestically to put the screws to us. Remember how much they enjoyed. You had these EU officials at the onset of the Ukrainian war, and now we know why they pushed it so much, because it's not like, oh, it's collateral damage to to elongate the war and fund Ukraine that we have the embargo on Russian oil and make energy more expensive. No, they were like, this is a great opportunity. Biden administration officials, Jennifer Jennifer Granholm, the energy secretary, said similar things. This is This is great. They love it. It's not like, oh, a price of appeasing Iran is that products will now be more expensive because of the shipping crisis. No, 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 no. That is that is the icing on the cake. That's not just collateral damage they're willing to deal with. They want to shut down shipping. They want to maximize the pain on us. Again, we, we, we covered a lot in this half an hour, but you put it together. Economic terrorism Unleashing Hamas, unleashing BLM, unleashing criminals, unleashing illegal aliens, targeting our people. It's all by design. It's hard for people to emotionally accept that this is our government, but it is. And and I say this to demonstrate that we have, like, like, here's the thing. All my Trump-supporting colleagues would love this show. They would agree with everything I'm saying, especially my coverage of January 6th. But they cover it as an end to itself, like a story. Oh, yeah, yeah, like a whole movement they have. They get on each other's shows. But what are you going to do about it? Right now, there's no focus on primaries, no focus on state legislative agenda, no pressure being brought to bear on House Republicans. And it's just elect Trump, nominate him, they have no answer how they're going to get him elected. They have no answer how they're going to get a second term of his to not be even worse than the first term. And meanwhile, the the best results-driven man we've had of this generation, nobody's perfect. We don't idolize him. He can always get stronger in issues, and we're always going to push him to the right, unlike some other people. But take yes for an answer. We need to win. And what gives us our best chance? That's why I want to get to our next guest. So, folks, it's been a while since we've had the one and only Congressman Thomas Massey on the show. We typically talk about what's going on in Congress. Now, there's nothing good to talk about going on there. But interestingly enough, he's working on another project. And that is the project that after, what is it, uh, you know... 14 years in Congress, 13 years in Congress, that will make his tenure there worthwhile to have a force multiplier at the top to actually lead the party out of this morass that we've been in for so long. And how apropos that Congressman Massey is joining us today, going in between Iowa and D.C. He's a big driver, so he's not flying. He's driving away from the snowstorm there spent some time on the campaign trail, headed back to D.C. to bang his head against the wall there. And he's with us today, I think, on the line. Hey, Congressman, you there? I'm here, Daniel. Good to talk to you. All right. So, yeah, obviously the connection's not great, but I think people get a sense of uh, your dedication. It reminds them of your uh, trip from from Kentucky to Washington 
to shut down the CARES Act or at least force a vote on it. Um, could you give us a sense of what you're seeing on the ground in Iowa? Right now, the media is making it clear that DeSantis is dead. He's in last place. Nikki Haley's ahead of him. Trump's going to win. They love Trump. They love Nikki. Everyone hates DeSantis. Fox, Newsmax, all Trump all the time, even though the Trump supporters say they can't stand Fox, but then they exclusively support Trump, um, which is kind of interesting. Are you seeing that reflected on the ground in Iowa? (laughs) I'm seeing almost nothing that's uh, reported in the media reflected on the ground in Iowa. (laughs) So, and let me say what I am seeing. I am seeing Iowa is breaking late this year, later than ever. Um, one of the people who was campaigning with me and Chip Roy and Ron DeSantis was a former uh, state party chairman of the GOP in Iowa, A.J. Spiker. He was part of the group of Ron Paul folks that actually took over the party in Iowa for a few years. And he's, he's pretty much an expert on this. He said, usually Iowa gets an early start with a straw poll in August, but they didn't do the straw poll this year. And, uh, you know, Christmas came up, people tuned out, and now what, and I was there in Iowa before Christmas, also campaigning with Ron DeSantis, and right now what I see is, like, intense focus among the people. The turnout at the events was strong. Uh, the, you know, the, the real way you campaign is not rallies of 20,000 people, half of whom may be from a different state, and then preach to them. Uh, in Iowa, it's done hand-to-hand, town-to-town, city-to-city, and I've done about a dozen events with Ron DeSantis now where the, the mean turnout is about 200 people, where I kick it off or Chip Roy kicks it off, and then we eventually introduce Ron DeSantis. He speaks for 20 minutes or so and then takes questions for you know, 30, 40 minutes. I think that's how you win over voters. And, wh- and what I'm seeing is, with, by the way, after he takes the questions, he goes down in the crowd and starts shaking hands and, and, you know, meeting people. And I do the same. And I hear people say, wow, I was undecided, but now I'm definitely voting for Ron DeSantis. And then, there, then I've heard a few people say, I'm voting for Ron DeSantis because you're supporting him. And I thought, wow, that makes my trip from Kentucky worth it this week. Uh, but I'm seeing a lot of strength for, for Ron there and, and some organic, uh, you know, anecdotes that I can relate. But I'll, I'll start out with that. Take your next question. Sure, sure. No, I mean, I, I think that's what everyone is saying on the ground there. It just doesn't reflect that. I think also, like you mentioned, the cycle is very unique. It was dead. It was comatose. It was non-existent. You wouldn't know there was anything going on. But we always said at the end of the day, there's going to be a vote. January 15th. And it's almost like the entirety of that almost a year campaign is going to be truncated into just two weeks worth of time. So everything else seems to be irrelevant. We'll see what ultimately happens. Um, What do you want people to know about Ron? In other words, you're not an easy person to please. Okay, People don't win you over uh, very easily. You're a pretty contrarian guy. You, You beat to your own drum. Um, you really don't don't follow anyone, any group, any any uh, label. You do your own thing, fiercely independent. You know everyone agrees that about you. 
what is it about Ron that you feel will break this vicious cycle that we're in with the GOP, just just being irrelevant, aimless, rudderless? What is about him that, that that's unique? Well, let me give you my basis for this observation to start out with before I give the observation. Um, I served with Ron DeSantis for six years in Congress, and he and I hung out together a lot. We didn't want to put on tuxedos and go to the champagne parties. We would get together and just have dinner and discuss what was in the bills we had to vote on. <laughs> Imagine that. Um, so I knew him for six years. He's got a combination that you never find in Washington, D.C. You might find one, but not the other. He is, number one, he's super intelligent, went to Yale and Harvard, and believe it or not, he came out more conservative than he went in. <laughs> That's a rarity. And then um, the other thing is he's got common sense. He's got a blue-collar background, and he can sort through all the fluff very quickly. So that's what I observed about him in Congress. He led a floor fight against the Internet tax when he was there. We, uh, you know, all the lobbyists got mad at us for doing that. We, you know, took over the floor for like 30 minutes and just railed on the Internet tax. That was that was his doing. He was a co-founder of the Freedom Caucus. Um, so that's what I know about him in Congress. And when we would go to these events like Freedom Works events and Club for Growth events, uh, our, our wives would hang out. His wife is very conservative. My wife is very conservative. They were both interested in coming to these events that they would kind of get together and compare notes about their husbands. So that, that was interesting. Um, you always got to so look at the wives, by the way. That 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 is a oh big God. point, and I, you know we we never talk about your wife on this show, Rhonda, but it's yeah. it, it really is an underappreciated fact. A lot of these um, Republicans that are just a bunch of weenies, you look at their wives, and they're almost literally Democrats. Some of them are, or or close right. to it. And and in fact, I think yeah, that is a common denominator I see with Rhonda and and Casey. Um, you know where they're going to be. You know your 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 right flank. They're going to be keeping you grounded. Um, and that's that's really very very vital to to ensuring that a guy ha- keeps his moral constitution in multiple ways. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, my wife listens to talk radio. She listens to your podcast. Uh, she's got her finger on the pulse. She has. Sirius XM in her car. She's uh, listening to Fox. We don't have a TV in the house, thank goodness. But she's collecting all this information and giving it to me uh, because, you know, I'm in hearings and things and don't really have time to, you know, to listen to all that. And Casey does the same thing. But Casey is amazing in that she has, uh, as a first lady, set up some programs in Florida where they use, they, use businesses and churches to provide services instead of just relying on the government. Like if a veteran goes in to apply for benefits or somebody goes in to apply for TANF or Medicaid in Florida, uh, they've got a portal that she helped set up where a call goes out to the, uh, to these community groups and says, Hey, we've got somebody asking for government benefits. Do you have any private help that you would like to offer? And like, that was one of the things that she, you know, championed in Florida. And uh, a lot of times people go in, they sign up, they get the government benefit, but then they connect up with somebody in the church and they don't come back for the government benefits because it helps them get on a better path. So, um, yeah, she's great. 
that's another basis for, for what I know. Also, I've spent, I want to say, <laughs> probably 100 hours with this guy between two trips to Iowa and campaigning in New Hampshire, where we're just on a bus for, you know, these cities in these, in these states, they can be two hours apart. And you can't just go to the population center and campaign. So when we go do a day of events, we may be spending six hours on the bus and, you know, five hours doing the event. And we've got a lot of time to talk on the bus. I've observed him working with his staff and he's an amazing executive. Listen, I've, I've helped on a dozen campaigns and of course I've run my own campaign and what you almost never see is a candidate who's as calm as Ron DeSantis is and as confident in his staff. Like, of course, he reviews everything, but he takes like 10 seconds to review a TV ad and he either says yes or he says go back to the drawing board. He doesn't try to micromanage things like that or the tweets. He'll look at them. He'll review them. He'll approve them. They go out. Um, he doesn't waste his time worrying about details because his staff is the best staff I've ever seen. And um, they take care of the details. It, you, you know, like, for instance, these when you go to an event, like a town hall type event, uh, there's a lot of work that has to happen. The microphones have to be working. The thing has to be promoted or people won't show up. There's a stage. You have to coordinate with the law enforcement and the, uh, the venue owner. And I never saw a hitch in in the dozen or so events that we did, there was no hitch in any of it. And um, Ron didn't sweat the details. He just stayed at the high level. That's what I, that's, that's sort of the behind the scenes. Uh, now there's the obvious stuff. If anybody's been paying attention, look at Florida. He's delivered what Trump promised to do nationally. Uh, DeSantis did in Florida. He kicked out two Soros uh, DAs, prosecutors that, or judges that wouldn't do their job. Uh, so implementation outcomes, outcomes, results, you know, Thomas, I'm, I'm struggling. Here's what I'm struggling with. And I used to struggle with this with other primaries too. A guy screws us for years on end. And I don't have like a whole phone book of, you know, recorded stuff. Cause it's kind of day to day. And then I don't save it of all the th ways the guy betrayed us. And then we have an election. You know, let's say it's a governor or a, a rhino senator and we want to have a primary. And they're like, well, you know, Daniel, what's wrong with him? And like, you know, you kind of think of one or two things off the cuff, but but when you go back, it was really a constant struggle. So, you know, I get messages from people sometimes, well, Daniel, you can't just harp on one issue, you know, COVID. Now, obviously, CARES Act was the worst bill in American history. You talked about the circumstances around that, what Trump did to pressure you. Um, Almost everything we're facing liberty-wise, inflation-wise, uh, you know, really, aside from the biomedical tyranny issues itself and the deaths from the vaccines flow from his policies. But, Thomas, go yeah. back to those four years. Wasn't yeah. it, in fact, a lot more than just COVID? It was emblematic of Steven Mnuchin and his entire domestic policy oh sucked. It really did. Yeah, their, their monetary policy was horrible they borrowed money spent money and printed money we printed five trillion dollars during trump that is unprecedented and uh, let me let me contrast you know the, during the cares act because 
I never told this story publicly. It's a phone call I had with Donald Trump when they were trying to pass the CARES Act and nobody there. I didn't tell this story publicly until I started campaigning with Ron DeSantis. And if I can give you an abbreviated version of it, <laughs> you know, they, they, they wanted to pass the CARES Act with nobody there. This is a bill that Nancy Pelosi wrote. It was a wish list, you know, of, of socialism, you know, basic minimum income, basically, in the thing, uh, paying the blue states to keep their, their states shut down almost indefinitely, printing money, spending money. You know, the mice never figure out why the cheese is free. There were $1,200 checks in this bill, and that was the cheese in the trap in the CARES Act. It was actually very popular. The media had convinced most of the public, including 80% of Republicans at the time, that you needed to, something like this. It's like enormous, crazy stimulus package. And Mnuchin pointed out it's actually $6 trillion because they were going to give some more money to the, uh, uh, to the Treasury and allow them to loan it out, I mean, at the Fed, and allow them to loan it out at the 10 to 1 ratio. So like $400 billion becomes $4 trillion. He was on TV saying that. And when he said that, that's what motivated me to get in the car and drive to Washington, D.C. that night at midnight because they said they were going to pass it by unanimous consent. And nobody had to come to work. And I said, hold on a second. Nurses are working. Farmers are working. Truckers are working. And if they if they're working, then by golly, Congress can show up to work. So I drove to Congress. Uh, you know, unanimous consent requires 435 people to keep their mouth shut. No, if one of them opens their mouth, it ain't unanimous. So I stopped the unanimous consent, and they had to bring everybody to Congress. I was so hated. Um, Nancy Pelosi called me a dangerous nuisance. CNN called me the most hated man in Washington, D.C. I, I like to say that's the first time they ever reported the news correctly. Um <laughs> But, and let's but, just say that certain conservative, you know, icons called you up and, uh, you know, said, hey, yeah. maybe you maybe you ought to take one for the team. Yes, I had conservative groups calling me, telling me not to do it. And conservatives in Congress who some of them are my friends and they thought it would be the end of me politically. <laughs> and, so, and some of them, frankly, just didn't want to put a lot of the other conservatives on record. And they just wanted it to happen with nobody voting on it so nobody would get blamed. So um, I, I go, the, it takes them two days to get people there. I'm, I'm getting ready to make the motion on the floor of the house. My phone rings. And I just remember the phone number was like all zeros. And I'm like, who could that be? Oh, crap. That's Trump calling. He is <laughs> not happy with me. Uh, so I let it go to voicemail. And then he called again, like within a minute. And I let it go to voicemail. I let it go to voicemail three times. I kept checking to see if he would leave a message. He didn't. But the reason I didn't take his call was, wasn't because I was afraid or because I was being rude. I was on the floor of the house and nobody would make the motion. If I so much as left my seat to go to the bathroom, they were going to pass the CARES Act on unanimous consent. So I sat there. And then when I had time to call him back, because they were started debating, uh, the bill, I called him back and he comes on the phone and he says, I'm coming at you like you've never seen, never in your life before. Have you seen the way in which I will come at you? I'm more popular than you in Kentucky and you know it. I'm back in your primary opponent and you're going to lose. <laughs> and and, th and th th then he proceeded to scream at me, at which point I tried to interrupt a few times and tell him this was the only constitutional way to do it. 
and that was going to cause inflation, that it would cause shortages if you pay people not to work. Uh, um, there was even money in there to fund the mail-in ballots, the mail-in election of 2020. It was his undoing. And they had twisted him so much that he was afraid that if, if it was even delayed by an hour, <laughs> it, would, it would be bad. And uh, so just to, you know. But, but by the out, way, th- that's an important point I've noted many times. Trump panics. He really does. When it, people think he's like bold because he upends the orthodoxy of decorum and rhetoric. But when it comes to policies, he actually is terrified. And he even said it himself at that town hall, if you remember, you know, when they said, well, why are you suddenly for fighting on the debt ceiling when you were president? Like, you wouldn't go near the deadline. You would just say, we got to raise it. We can't have a government shutdown. We can't have a default. We can't. Because he would. And he was like, yeah, because I was president then. Now I'm not. But he was kind of truthful. He really is scared. So when the system says... This is going to upend or this is going to happen. He actually takes it to heart. Yes. Now, contrast that. There were a very, very tiny few people who called me to encourage me, who called me and said, you're doing the right thing. I mean, the universe was almost non-existent of people who would call would offer encouragement for my fight. And uh, one of those people was Governor Ron DeSantis. Now, we, we would touch base every, you know, every six months or so uh, when he was governor and I was in Congress. For instance, he kicked Facebook and, and uh, Twitter and all these people that were uh, you know, discriminating against conservatives. He kicked them off the governor, uh, government computers in Florida. Like, that's not infringing on the private sector. He just said, we're, you know, take your apps off all of our computers. And, you know, he called me to tell me that he was going to do that. I said, go for it, man. Your productivity will probably go up. But um, one of, you know, that was on a different phone call. But the phone call I got after the CARES Act and after I took so much grief from Ron DeSantis was to encourage me and to say that I would, he said, Thomas, you're doing the right thing. And I know what you're going through because I'm going to do the same thing here in Florida. I am doing the same thing here in Florida. I am not going to shut our schools down. I'm going to make sure our kids get an education. They're not deprived of that. I'm not going to kill these mom and pop stores and these restaurants by shutting down our economy. I'm keeping it open. And the president's hitting me and the media's hitting me. And I know popular opinion is against me on this. He said, but I'm going to do it anyway because it's the right thing to do. And he said, and in two years, I think people will understand and I'll think, I think they'll see that you and I did the right thing. And I thought, holy cow, this guy's thinking two years in advance. Most yep. of my colleagues, Daniel, can't think past lunch. Oh, my gosh, and- Thomas, that that is such an important point because he doesn't go for the instant gratification. And, and, and you see it both on the campaign trail in terms of campaign strategy in addition to policy because one of the things I resent, our industry rewards empty rhetoric. Right. So like, hey, I'm better than you, Thomas. I'm better than Ron. I'm the most hardcore. Right. You know why? Because I'm behind a microphone and I don't have to get elected. So, of course, I could be. I mean, you would expect that. Right. So you have this guy like Vivek who's running to be a talker. He's running to be a talk show host. So what I find amazing is you're telling me that Ron called you privately and knew this was wrong. What's the date? About March 27th? 
um, that's when I made the stand. This was this was a few weeks after that. Okay, so we're talking um, about April, let's say. Yeah. April 2020, 2020. He knew that was wrong, yet Vivek, and he's the governor of the third largest state, the biggest senior population, the 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 supermajority opinion, by the way, a lot of Republicans, if you had polled it at the time, and much later as well, felt this stuff worked, the masking worked. He was opposing this stuff as governor, yet Vivek was pimping this stuff as a private man who could do, has no responsibility, could have been like me, you know, into 2021, January 2022, he was saying in the Wall Street Journal that uh, masking and social distancing worked. He pimped the vaccines up until Steve Dace got him to get off of it when he was running for president, yet, you know, DeSantis got off the vaccines with the Department of Health stopped promoting it November 2021. Like, what the heck? But he's a loser. He's a rhino. He's a cuck. And Vivek, man, that's where, that's the model campaign, baby. Yeah. Listen, people say, don't you? They say, wait, Vivek, uh, he sounds more like you. Don't, Don't you think he's got the best message? I said, here's the problem. I served with 434 people who had a great message. And look what the message, you know, what it converts to when, you know, push comes to shove and the lights come on. There's only one person in this race who has delivered and he's delivered on everything. You know, I made a debt badge that I wear in Congress and it's at thirty four trillion dollars. It just keeps counting up. I wear it on my lapel. It's digital. It's got Wi-Fi. I, I gave Ron DeSantis one of these debt badges to to wear. And um, he he asked me if I could make one that displayed Florida's debt. And I said, why? And he said, because the number would go down like he's cut <laughs> Florida's debt by 25 percent since he's been in office. And he's done that by he's got something they don't have in Congress in, in the White House now, but he had a line item veto. One year he, he line item vetoed three percent of their budget against Republicans. Like, Yes, see, see, the this, this is the key that people, this is what we were yeah. lacking, and it wasn't just COVID, Thomas, right? It was... Yeah, let me contrast this. Let me give you an example, because uh, Trump, the first time he was sent an omnibus, he complained. This is a Paul Ryan omnibus, right? He complained that it didn't have a wall in it, He's, but he signed it anyway, <laughs> and he said, I'll never do this again. He did it a dozen more times between CRs and omnibus bills. And minibus bills, that, and, and they didn't have the wall in it. It's like telling your kids, you know, you, your bedtime's eight, and you let them stay up to midnight 12 times. You think they're going to go to bed at eight ever? No. No, but it's worse because- than that. His OMB would put out a budget proposal that would cut things. And then the GOP bill, which, by the way, wasn't Paul. I mean, it was Paul Ryan. But, Stephen, it's not like he came in at the end of the process. Man, I really really don't like Correct. it. But I'll sign it. Correct. Stephen Mnuchin, his Treasury Secretary, the biggest globalist alive, forged each and every one of these with Ryan from yes. day one. Yes. Yes. He was the driving right. force. And, like, this is what people forget. Like, a big right. reason why yeah. Rick Scott doesn't like Ron DeSantis, right, the pre- yeah. predecessor, is because Rick Scott was, um, you know, DeSantis canned a bunch of his last-minute appointments. Like He fought Republicans, so that's what you need in Congress now, a guy at the top to use a bully pulpit, and instead he got totally owned. Yeah, let me back up. I gave Nancy Pelosi too much credit for the CARES Act. Um, She was the one in the chamber who passed it, and of course all of her priorities were in it. But the White House had the, the biggest role in writing it, 
I know this because I listen. I knew the people at the White House. I'm not going to call out names. I knew the people. Of course. Writing it. I knew them by first name. I have their cell phone numbers. They were calling me, encouraging me to vote for the CARES Act because <laughs> they knew exactly what was in it because they had helped write it. They they had P- people up the forget this. That Thomas, the that, that's a really important point. People view it as like a constitutional thing that the president sits like twiddling his thumb at a desk and right. Congress writes a thing and, okay, do I sign or do I veto? And constitutionally, yeah, that's technically how it works. But politically, once we had political party systems, when you have the leader of the party that yeah. controls Congress being present, they drive the agenda. It's true as governor as well in, in, in the states. You know, it's not maybe everything, but typically they drive the big things. And, you know, now we all tried to play a double game. We we're like, Mr. Trump, they're hoodwinking you because we wanted yeah. to get the result. But the reality is we knew the whole time that it was yeah. his administration, whether it was Kushner, his domestic policy council team or people at Treasury. And and really, you know, Mnuchin was really the, the, the star player in most of these things. And it's like the contrast between the two. But but I want to I want to parlay this into one specific thing, because part of the problem I'm finding with with some of our people is that they're acculturated to rhetoric and decorum and tenor and intensity of your voice. You know, I'm a pretty passionate guy. um, So, you know, I'm you know, I'm I'm good for talk radio, I guess, Um, translating into outcomes and results. So if you shout an eight. Everyone's used to under-delivering. So if you shout an eight, we know we'll get a four. If you shout a 10, we'll get a six. With DeSantis, he's the first guy ever, like ever, whose bite is louder than his bark. So one of the examples is the Trump people, and I know this is near and dear to my heart, your heart. I just talked about Ray Epps' sentencing memorandum where the government said what an amazing guy is. The first J6 defendant, by the way, that they love. He helped people. He tried to be peaceful. You know, everything that applied to Richard Barnett, all these other people, and they apply to him. He was financially ruined. He's he's been remorseful. It was was it was, it was hilarious. I got to show this to you after the show. Anyway, so a lot of some of my allies are like, DeSantis is not talking about J6 enough. So they're supporting Trump. Talk about why you, as someone who's been on this from day one, why you're more confident in DeSantis to deal with this. Oh, it's the J6 stuff? Yeah. 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 Because um, Trump, like in the last week, said he wants to build a spectacular new building for the FBI. Like he is scared of the FBI. He is afraid of the DOJ. He 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 bought into this lie that there's a fourth branch of government that and that but he's uh, learned his lesson. That, oh yeah, right. He's learned his lesson, and now he wants to build him a new building in Washington D.C. Uh, but but wouldn't we, he a, want the revenge against them? You would think he wouldn't want to build them a, a new building, but he does want to build them a new building. That makes me wonder, is he, did he have something on him? Is he still scared? Go back and watch the video on January 7th. I put it on my uh, uh, X account. The video of Trump coming out, just like basically throwing all the J6ers under the bus and saying, you know, they defiled the Capitol and that uh, yeah. they'll be prosecuted and punished. By the way, he only embraced uh, that movement after November of last year when he announced he was running for re-election. Before that, 
It was lights out. And even those people, and we won't mention names, but you know the sorts of figures I'm talking about that earn their living off of, like that's their brand January 6th. They expressed, you know, consternation about that as well at the time. But then once he ran for president, it became not a problem. And they're like, they feel DeSantis is not strong enough. Well, let's let's talk about that period between November and January when Pelosi controlled the White House and uh, Trump said the election had been rigged and he lost it. We we do when when Pelosi has the majority, uh, we don't get any chairmanships, zero. So you can't call any hearings. You can't call any witnesses. We couldn't have any investigation of the election. But guess who could? Trump's attorney general. And guess who didn't? Trump's attorney general. Now, Bill Barr left in December and he got another guy and he had a month to uh, do an investigation or, or turn some evidence up. He didn't do a thing. Yeah, like, but that's not his fault because his, all of his cabinet was terrible. They were sabotaging him. Right. Even even the one he replaced after he lost. They were so mean to him. I mean, every one of yeah. his picks was like a globalist. I mean, you got to feel bad for Trump. It's not his fault. It's the globalist's By fault. Way, he uh, also, but this time Trump he's going to choose held, better. Trump held over a lot of uh, Obama appointees, uh, like at the National Security Council and whatnot. Um, DeSantis says on day one, the day he's sworn in, he is going to relieve every single Biden appointee of his or her job. Like, that's just common sense, but Trump didn't do it. it. There was an infection, and he didn't get rid of it when he won the election. So, you know, it's just. Uh, by, oh, by the way, let me tell you one other yeah, thing. One other yeah, sure. Thing. And you, you, you're uh, even more versed on this topic than I am. But birthright citizenship. Trump campaigned on eliminating birthright citizenship, like signing an executive order to do it. Now, would it get litigated? Of course, it'll get litigated. They'll take it to the most liberal court, uh, you know, circuit in the United States, and they'll try to get a favorable ruling to go to the Supreme Court. But everything gets litigated. You got to fight it. But when Trump campaigned on signing executive order to end birthright citizenship, his there's video of him saying the reason he didn't do it is his lawyer said it would be messy <laughs> and that it couldn't be done. And then uh, so he never did it. It would have taken him two minutes to set at the desk and to sign that executive order. He had four years. He didn't spend two minutes signing it. Uh, Ron DeSantis says he'll he'll sign it when he gets there. And he knows it'll go to court. Everything DeSantis has done of consequence has gone to court in Florida and then he wins. Uh, but that's you can't let lawyers tell you that it's, you know, oh, well, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be, be difficult. And, and and that's yeah. what it was. And that's what people need to realize. It wasn't just COVID. It was emblematic of a man who has right. no values, no beliefs, no policy smarts, no focus, no discipline. So everything just, you know, once yeah. in a while, you'd have something that would flow. His interest would flow in our direction. But the point is, and by the way, there's proof of concept to what you said about DeSantis, because when he, it's not just the Soros guys that he fired. DeSantis had the guts to fire 46 political appointees made at the last minute by his Republican predecessor, which is why there's bad blood there. He also yanked the appointment of 169 people whom Scott, um, again, a member of his own party, appointed to various state boards and commissions, so, such as university boards. He felt that there were Republican appointees that were not up to snuff 
uh, as to what we should be getting. There's proof of concept here. Hold on. There's one, one of them's even on video. His former Surgeon General, his first Surgeon General, at a press conference. I think this was in uh, April, April or May. Or, yeah. Yeah. Was, was, uh, he was doing a press conference, and they said, how long must we you know, do these pandemic measures? And he said, as long as, as COVID is circulating. Well, a woman comes and taps him on the shoulder <laughs> and takes him out of the press conference. The guy got yanked off the mound in the middle of the game. Like – uh, and the, he was never heard from again, never allowed to go to another press conference. And it, then it's DeSantis, so frustrating. It, it's like it's like eventually replaced him with uh, uh, Dr. Latipo, who has come out against the vaccines. I think you've seen the only one, has, the only one yeah. to this day. There, there is not a single other health director who's even recommending against it even for children that I could find I you know yesterday I listed all the Republican states the departments of health still pimping the CDC guidance even for six month old babies almost every Republican state to this day and and this is what people need to realize it's not that there, you know nobody we don't idolize DeSantis the way they do uh you know Trump right. you know you you certainly will disagree on an issue or two you and I would disagree on an issue or two but the point is the fundamentals take yes for an answer. And and the frustrating thing is DeSantis is kind of like Tony Gwynn. You know, if you get the baseball analogy, he doesn't make a lot of noise, doesn't, you know, it's not a power hitter. Like, and that's the analogy for like making a lot of noise and speeches. But he's always, you know, bats upper threes, always gets on base every year. And Trump is like, Bo Jackson with the 160, 160 strikeouts a year, except without the home runs. You know? yeah, right. I mean, yeah, I'm looking, I'm, 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 uh, it's hard to think of a home run that he hit. He, and, and whenever he struck out, he would blame somebody else, whoever made the bat or, or his own appointees him. that, 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 yeah. that Lindsey Graham told him to pick. And, you know, but it, or, but it, or, or Christie. Uh, oh, Chris Christie. You know, sometimes I wonder if this is a conspiracy that Trump brought in all the rhinos just so he can later on make fun out of them and keep them relevant. So Chris Christie no, no, was no, no. literally that, roadkill. He was roadkill at the side of the road. He was done after Bridgegate, after the Obama hug. He was done. Trump resurrected him. And now my colleagues are like, yeah, Trump really took it to Chris Christie. Dude, you, I mean, what the heck? I didn't. And then he says, that's why I hired Christopher Ray, was that Chris Christie oh, said he was good. I can't, so I can't do always, this anymore. It's always, I've never seen Ron DeSantis blame somebody else for something that didn't happen that, you know, on his team. This is, this is the thing. I even saw it behind the scenes on the bus campaigning. He, you know, he just hires competent people and they get it done. And then he doesn't blame people for if, if he makes a mistake or says something inartful on the on the stage, he just he figures out how to how to express it better. It's not yep. like he blames somebody. He never blames somebody for not preparing him well or how come I didn't know that issue was in the news an hour before I took the stage. You know, nothing like that. Anyways, um you know, we could go on and on on the on the stuff that he's accomplished in Florida. He took on the teachers union. Uh, he broke their backs. And that's not news like, in conservative media, by the way, that the second largest union in the entire country might not exist. 
And by the way, this is not anti-teacher. What does this mean? It means the teachers have bigger paychecks because they don't have compulsory union dues taken out of their paychecks. And when they're given the choice, they say, yeah, I'll just keep the money instead of giving it to the union. So, I mean, I know we pick on the teachers union, but it's, it's important to explain how this works out better for teachers. They get to take more of their money home. And they also got pay raises too, you know, with cutting the, 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 you know, outstanding Florida debt by 25%. They did get pay raises. Um, And then in addition, you're right, it's a second pay raise because you don't have the junk taken out. I mean, again, we can go on and on. School choice. It's results. It's results. He's got every every five years, the the university professors that are tenured have to come up for review. Like it's not a lifetime thing. Um, So they can't promote the DEI. You can't put DEI in the university. Like everything that was, you know, these and a a lot of this stuff, he is not infringed on the well, all of this stuff. He has respected the boundaries between state and federal government and between private and public sector. So, for instance, uh, he's he requires that hospitals publish the price of like, let's say, hip replacement so you can shop around. But. Why would anybody shop around if the insurance company's paying all of it and there's nothing, you know, you'd receive no yep. benefit for shopping around. So for state employees, they changed the uh, health program so that if you shop around and get a better price, that you get a refund on your premiums. So, and he did that, you know, the pilot program is basically the state employee program and he's going to save money there. Um, He's buying, he, he just got approved. The state of Florida can buy drugs from Canada now. He said that's going to save just the state alone, not, not including private individuals on, on private plans, but the state alone is going to save hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah, for Medicaid and, and, and things like that. Um, I, I mean, it's, it's one after another. And it's like, it's like I don't know, you, you and I were texting earlier. Is it, do you want to, what was it? A- yeah, let me give the analogy. So it's, it's really bad. It's like I'm watching a dad pick out a car to go on vacation, and um, the, he's going to take his family to the beach. The cars cost the same amount, and he's about to buy a Yugo with bald tires and <laughs> leaking oil and transmission fluid, and he plans to put his family in this thing and go a 1,000 miles to the beach. And there's, there's uh, for the same price, there's a Mercedes sitting there, brand new, nothing wrong with it, comes with a warranty, uh, you know, and – he buys the Yugo. Like <laughs> it's not it's not just a tragedy that he wasted his money, it's that he's gonna put his family in it and take them to the beach and everybody's gonna have a bad time. Like oh. and and you know, I've interacted with with the exception of Vivek, uh, I I know these people personally. Like, you know, I don't I don't know Nikki Haley as well as the others, but I've had dinner with her. Um so at a club for growth event. So, you know, and then I've had a dozen conversations with Trump and know a lot of his appointees because several of them came from Congress and, you know, knew what was going on on the inside quite frequently. Yep. The frustrations there. This is my Uh, biggest frustration. We have never had two people with such substantial proofs of concept records to compare where one's weaknesses are literally the other one's strengths. 
and somehow it just doesn't matter. And, you know, we'll see if what, you know, anecdotally is happening on the ground in Iowa translates in the macro. Um, I know you left nothing on the table there. I think a lot of people appreciated that. And hopefully you'll continue on the campaign trail um, into New Hampshire. And, and this, you know, takes off because, you know, I get it. I mean, you're you're going to continue spinning your wheels with false choices, trying to figure out the best thing to do with horrible members of Congress and leadership, you know, and then it you create, you know, there's a lot of divisions that flow from that because people disagree. It's all because we don't have leadership at the top. Correct. So we've not we, yeah. we haven't had a, a real Republican leader in Washington, D.C. Uh, really, since I've been in Congress for 10 years, like. Sometimes you would say, well, the Speaker of the House, since we don't have the White House and uh, we don't have the Senate, then the Speaker of the House is the leader of the Republican Party. We haven't had a good one. We have not had a leader as Speaker of the House. And, um, you know, when we have the Senate majority, the Senate majority is not the GOP leader that's carrying our values and and representing them. And in in the White House, you know, it was whoever could get in Trump's ear at the last moment. Um, like when he reauthorized FISA. And they the all know this. They on. all know this. And they just they, there's complete political amnesia. And that's what I can't handle here. You know, <laughs> the, at, at a minimum, that, we should at least have a debate. It's a self it's a self-administered lobotomy. <laughs> it's not amnesia. Like people are taking ice prick picks and, and clearing out whole portions of their brain in order to forget what he did he banned bump stocks and that was the roadmap to ban the pistol braces and the he trigger was, the trigger regulation they also put on kind of you know making a lot of things rendering a lot of things machine guns now um and, and by the way they he was about to give them red flag laws he had just he had just said oh you know i like you take the guns first and then due process later that's not due process that's not the american way you're innocent until proven guilty, but he flipped it on its head and he was about to do that. The only thing that kept him from doing it was like within two weeks of him saying that they started impeaching him and then he kind of snapped out. of. I know wait, that's wait, what why? people don't realize. If not for I said this yesterday, if not for covid. Kushner, was, they, they had amnesty. They were pushing the amnesty. I know the cam- the the campaign just put out that video, but. I lived it. We, You lived it. You were in Congress. It was because COVID actually shut down the border invasion, but it was horrible in 2018, 2019. And, you know, we forget. We forget these things. We tolerated certain things because we didn't have a choice. We didn't want the Democrats. But now we do have a choice. Take yes for an answer. Thomas, this has been really engaging. I got you double duty. Look at what what, what we could accomplish just from the road. Um, at some point, I want to get into your farming stuff. You know, I pulled over. I I pulled over. I the conversation got so good and I got so <laughs> interested in it that I didn't want to get cut off. So I pulled over between toll booths here in West Virginia uh, just to talk to you because I got so excited about this. And um, I I feel obligated to tell people um, that, you know, and to act as a character reference for Ron DeSantis, because I knew him in Congress. I kept up with him. We had phone conversations while he was governor. He called me up when he was, uh, you know, making tough choices, and I encouraged him every time. He was doing the right thing. He listens to people. Um, it's just this is a once in a lifetime chance. Yeah, but he only has one hire, wife. 
yeah, to, to hire an executive that will get it done, who has delivered, who's not just talking a good game. And um, I think it's doable in Iowa. I think we're going to see good results there. I think he's going to far exceed all of the polls and the expectations that have been put out in the media. Well, with that, Thomas, we're way over time, but I hope your prediction on that is as correct as it was with COVID, that he does overperform. Thanks for what you're doing. And again, we'll we'll, we'll be in touch. We've got a lot more issues to discuss. God bless you. Give them hell. All right? Take care. So, folks, here again, Thomas Massey. That was a super engaging conversation. This is a super long show. I didn't mean to go that long, but I think you guys will find it worth worthwhile. Two individuals, me as an outsider, you know, as a you know observer, activist on the outside. Thomas is a sitting congressman. We live that. The contrast between the two. Again, nobody's perfect. There's things Ron could get stronger on, but the bottom line is, my gosh. Do you want a Hugo? Do you want a Mercedes? Do you want a wind turbine? Or do you want gas and oil? I mean, come on. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Let's not... You don't even have to forget. It's it's what the guy is saying right now. It's ridiculous. Um, but let me know if you have questions for Thomas. We It's almost like two separate shows today. But uh, more than happy to deliver. Let me know. Daniel Hurwitz at StarMail.com. Please send this to everyone you know in Iowa or any other state thinking of voting. Please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Till tomorrow, God bless you all. And thank you for listening.